Hello and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. This year, non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, have crossed the chasm from early adopters to capture mainstream attention. Now, many were shocked when they heard that an NFT created by the artist Beeple sold at a Christie's auction earlier this year for $69 million worth of cryptocurrency. But Beeple just proved this was not a one-off event by recently selling another NFT for close to $30 million. Now, I recently spoke with NFT artist People Pleaser, and on this podcast, we often interview the infrastructure and protocols that are enabling NFTs, so it was exciting to speak with an actual creator of non-fungible tokens. People Pleaser and I discussed NFT 101, what they are, what new functionality they offer, and why they are attracting so much interest from artists, the background of People Pleaser and how she first got involved in crypto and NFTs, and we discussed the market dynamics of art and collectible NFTs versus gaming NFTs, and what the future may hold for NFT valuations given the incredible bull run this year. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Well, Emily, welcome to the blockchain.com podcast. Now, we have a tradition here where we always ask our guests uh, how they earn their first dollar or euro or pound. Um, well, actually, my first dollar was probably when I was in, believe it or not, in elementary school. And um, I guess life came full circle now that I'm technically selling NFTs. But this, when I was in elementary school, um, Pokemon was super popular. And then I noticed that just by drawing Pokemon on like pieces of paper and then clipping a little keychain to it, I could sell it at school. Like people were literally willing to pay for it. I think it was selling it for like 25 cents per piece or something. But I mean, they sold out like really quickly and they were like super popular. So that's probably how I made my first dollar. <laughs> well, and, and gain valuable experience, it sounds like for, for what you've now become uh, uh, well known for. So that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> Um, well, let's just, uh, yeah, tell us a bit more about your background after the Pokemon era and kind of, uh, you know, take us up to the present day and how you became involved with NFTs. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, I lived a relatively normal life, like everyone else, like went to school, um, I went to college at UCLA, and it was while I was there that I first heard of Bitcoin and um, Doge, actually, <laughs> but um, you know, while I was intrigued by the concept, obviously I didn't have any money. And also, you know, I was just like any other college student, just worried about like, finding a real job at the time and stuff. And so, you know, I, I watched Wally um, in my first year of university. And then I decided that that's what I wanted to pursue as a career. And then so I sort of took time after class to sort of just, um, yeah, I'm like self-taught in terms of 3D animation skills. And then, yeah, and then um, after university, I started working in the visual effects field in film and animation. And then around 2017, so this was when I had, you know, started working and then saved up a tiny little bit of money. Um, my dad works in traditional finance. And so I had the concept, or at least, you know, the something in the back of my mind telling me that I needed to invest money one way or another but I mean I didn't know anything about TradFi right so 
Um, and it just seemed like so far away from me or so removed from me. It just, I, it just didn't come naturally to me. And then, so, you know, I started looking on Reddit about what I can do with, you know, literally the tiny amounts of money that I had saved, <laughs> um, that I was trying to invest. And then that's how I rediscovered cryptocurrency and really started to read about what the blockchain does and what the technology is about. And, you know, it really sold me on it. And so, um, it not only sold me on the technology, but also the culture, just browsing these cryptocurrency subreddits was how I fell into the whole, you know, mentality of FOMO, HODL, like all these terms that people are commonly using today. And, you know, it's full of young people like myself and I'm very internet native and just felt way more accessible to me as an investing method, as opposed to traditional finance. Um, and so that's how I sort of dived into it. And then I just bought in on a lot of ICO coins around 2017, rolled the, uh, rode the bull run all the way to the top, um, <laughs> was ecstatic, told my parents about it. And then obviously um, the bear market came, so everything crashed. And then my parents were kind of like, see, I told you it was a scam. <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't sell anything though. So I just held literally the entire bear market. But obviously, um, you know, thinking that I need to go back to my regular life. And then, so I just continued to work and kind of forgot about cryptocurrency for a while. And then in 2020, uh, I was supposed to go start a job as, as a digital artist at Apple, but then due to the pandemic, um, they sort of weren't able to process a lot of things related to my offer. And then, so they kind of just rescinded it. And because I was jobless, I again was in the situation where I needed to look into um, yeah, just making income, I guess. And then, so, um, around that time, one of my friend, close friends, Ray, who was really, really into crypto. I didn't know this. We were just friends, but I didn't know he was really deep into crypto. Apparently he'd been holding Bitcoin since like 2012. <laughs> um, and then he told me that he, he basically introduced me to DeFi. He said, Oh, something really crazy is happening in crypto right now. And then, so I went on crypto Twitter. That's when I first discovered crypto Twitter, which was last summer. And then um, similar to the Reddit situation where, you know, it was just full of people who had a very similar sense of humor and, you know, I, I understood their language, culture, everything. And then uh, I, I just thought that, oh, you know, maybe this is a way for me to contribute to the space and start making a little bit of money off of commissions or something. And so I started making animations for DeFi protocols. You know, part of it was also so that I could understand the DeFi because DeFi is extremely complex, right? And so, um, it was almost like a, I can read the white paper, half understand it, and then regurgitate it out in an interesting and artistic and aesthetically pleasing way for not only myself to understand better, but maybe for other people as well. And so that's kind of how I got started. Around the same time, I also uh, found out about NFTs. Um, and so the original concept was that hopefully if I made some kind of name for myself, then I would be able to just sell NFTs for a living. And I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that is, that is quite a journey and there's uh, there's a lot there that I want to, um, I want to cover. Um, but I'll, I'll start with kind of a, an observation, which is, I think you were fortunate. It sounds like to have a bit of a multidisciplinary background or at least exposure um, to a few things that, that kind of helped you. You weren't just coming from the coming at crypto when you first discovered it from one perspective. It sounds like your 
your family has worked in finance and you were exposed to, you know, ideas like saving and even, even, even when you don't have a lot, and this is something, um, you know, I've talked to folks about and, and just gave an interview on CNN this week about to a personal finance uh, reporter, you have to find a way to save, even when you're not making a lot of money, you've got to figure out how you can put something away to get off this paycheck to paycheck treadmill that so many people are on. And it sounds like you were able to figure that out early on, which is just critical and, and can make a huge difference. I think a lot of people think, oh, if I'm only saving a tiny fraction, tens of dollars, even, um, you know, a hundred bucks, what difference can that make? But, you know, wise investments um, can, can really compound and, and do quite well, especially in the crypto space. And so, so you're kind of a, I think a testament to, to that point that I've tried to make, you've got to find a way to save. And it sounds like that was a big part of uh, getting you to where you are today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've definitely been brought up with the sort of mindset of saving. Um, that's just, my parents are, um, I think, you know, because they, I think, yeah, you know, they like worked really hard their whole lives. So they know that, you know, money doesn't come easy and stuff. And so, you know, they've been kind of drilling that concept and, you know, my, my sister and I, um, ever since we were young. And so, uh, yeah, even though it really wasn't much, I remember when I started my first job, <laughs> my rent was, I think around $950. That was more than like 50% of my salary at the time. And then, um, my laptop broke and then instead of buying a new laptop, I, or you know, I actually didn't have enough money to buy a new laptop. And then, so I remember I was eating Subway sandwiches. So they had the $5 footlongs, but then I would split them into half um, and then eat it per meal. And then I did that for, I think two or three months. And I remember the bank that I was banking with were doing this program where if you open an account with them, they give you a free iPad. And then, so I did that and then used the iPad in place of a laptop until I had saved up enough to buy a laptop. Um, so yeah, just, I guess, you know, sort of concepts like that had helped me develop more of like a saving mindset. Definitely. And, and also owning something that you value. Um, I mean, it sounds like, you know, when the bear market came in 2018, you know, you, you still had some belief or, you know, perceived these, to, these coins you'd acquired in 2017 to have value. You weren't just necessarily looking to make a fast buck. Um, you know, and, and I think that's another thing that, um, you know, I've observed is, is the people who kind of try to understand like you did, you know, the white papers and the technology come to appreciate what this is. Um, they really, they really care for and place, uh, a great deal of, um, value on these coins and digital assets they, they've acquired and they're reluctant to sell them. Um, because they mean a lot. And, and it's something that actually, I think, helps encourage savings because uh, you own something that you perceive as really being important um, versus maybe a product uh, or you know, a financial product that, that you think is not you know, as big a game changer and going to help the world or, or whatnot uh, has as much potential. So I, I think a lot of people who've kind of ridden through these various crypto winners um, have been able to hang on because this was something they really thought was precious. You know, I hate to quote Gollum here, but, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not something they want to part with. Absolutely. I mean, I remember in 2017, I think I had most of my portfolio was in this coin called V chain. I think it's still around. Um, and so I remember I was, you know, sort of reading into it. The reason why I didn't buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, which I think a lot of people make this rookie mistake is because 
I thought, okay, those are already the top two coins. So I'm going to find the next gem or something. <laughs> and then so, but what was really um, funny was when I was watching sort of videos related to VeChain or explaining, you know, sort of like their roadmap and everything. Um, it was relatively similar to the concept of NFTs where, mm. you know, they were basically trying to use uh, the blockchain to verify, for example, luxury goods. Like, you know, if you buy a purse from Louis Vuitton, how do you, sort of verify that, you know, where this came from, the provenance, um, um, that kind of stuff. And then that's sort of when I, when I watch this or, you know, like what I envisioned, you know, today as well, even though I'm an artist myself, and then most of the time when people talk about NFTs or talking about NFT art, but I actually sort of believe the true value of the technology of NFTs and everything is more for um, you know, not just, it's, it's hopefully expands beyond art and to just for sort of everything that we own in the physical or digital realm and having sort of that chain of provenance and, you know, seeing where it comes from and verifying legitimacy, things like that. And so that's actually why I bought VeChain um, in 2017. And, you know, obviously recently, um, you know, everything is like sort of, there's a huge, for starting from DeFi, that was the next craze and now it's NFTs. Um, which I, I feel like is where that's headed. So, yeah. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, let's, let's turn now to, to NFTs, non-fungible tokens. We just did uh, a webinar uh, where we went in depth on what an NFT is. And so anyone listening who kind of wants NFT 101 and, 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 and you know, we can, you can go in depth if you want to listen to that webinar, but just at a high level, you already touched on a bit just, just a, a moment ago. Uh, what NFTs are, what, what is kind of the value proposition of a non-fungible token and, and what new things can you do that weren't possible prior to the invention of NFTs? Well, speaking as an artist, I think, especially a 3D artist or digital artist, um, the most obvious one, uh, which I think speak, spoke to most creators is that uh, prior to NFTs, um, the only way to sort of monetize digital artwork was to probably make physical prints um, mm. and then sell those. And so, uh, I mean, the idea of digital ownership is really quite revolutionary. If you uh, believe in a future that is, you know, more digitally native um, than physical and sort mm. of, I think Naval had a really good quote about how everything in the physical world is scarce. And then prior to web three, everything in the digital world was not scarce. And so, mm. Um, with the concept of NFTs, it reintroduced scarcity. And so, you know, why do you think things um, sort of in the real world have value um, prior to this is because, you know, like I have to spend money buying a chair because there are not infinite chairs in the world, right? And I'm not able to make a chair myself. And so really the concept of NFTs is very, very similar to that. It's just moving it into the digital realm. And, um, but it is a social phenomenon as well. So uh, the, the technology itself, you know, utilizing blockchain is revolutionary, but it cannot work without um, social consensus, right? So the mm -hmm. only reason why NFTs are so big right now is because there's a growing number of um, community and audiences of people that agree that this is sort of what um, legitimizes provenance. And, um, you know, for example, yeah, so moving from that sort of like right-click safe mindset to um this token on the blockchain uh showing that uh you own something in the digital realm mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. without people agreeing to this concept it wouldn't work actually so 
Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's literally the same thing as fiat, right? If I take a US dollar <laughs> bill, you know, if you don't think it has that, or if nobody thinks that value, it's not going to have value, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that those are really important points you ra raised. And I'm glad you, you you brought Naval into the conversation. He's just on a whole different plane um, <laughs> from, from us mere mortals. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, this, this, this idea that somehow prior to NFTs, it was very, very difficult to monetize digital art, I think is a really important point. Um, and it's often overlooked. I think a lot of people in the crypto space, when they say, well, what's the value proposition of NFTs? Uh, what can you do new that you couldn't do before? Uh, they'll point to things like, well, you can embed uh, in a digital piece of art uh, a, 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 a snippet of code that ensures that in subsequent secondary market transactions or sales of your work, uh, you may be able to earn uh, a cut, which is something that, you know, everyone always likes to mention Jeff Koons for some reason, you know, he started out as a humble artist, like many others sold things for very little that have gone on to sell for millions. And he doesn't see any of that follow on, um, you know, kind of value kind of come back to him, whereas an NFT artist could could embed in their in their um, their digital art a, a way to earn revenue as their brand increases, as their work becomes more appreciated. And I just wondered if that's something else that you would, you would put in kind of the, the top few things when you talk about the value proposition of NFTs. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, I think the most uh, low hanging fruit one was literally just the step one of actually monetizing work. And then step two is, um, like you said, uh, obviously, enabling royalties to be a thing because it wasn't, um, or, you know, I think, yeah, it's just, it's just impossible to keep track of that, um, you know, in, the, in sort of like the pre web three um, realm, right. And then, so the fact that uh, the blockchain ena enables it and um, that it can just automatically be set up to roll into your wallet is, I think, extremely revolutionary. I mean, it's basically a form of passive income, right? Um, yeah. That uh, came from just a, the creation of one of your artworks, uh, which wasn't previously possible. So that, that definitely is something, and hilariously was one of the first things that blew my mind when I first discovered NFTs, which is um, the whole concept of royalties. And I just thought, this is insane. The fact that every time it resells, I get 10% of that is crazy to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the 10% because I was going to ask, um, you know, what what is kind of the standard um, royalty for secondary market sales? Is it around 10%? Has it gone up over time? Has it gone down? Does, does it really matter um, in terms of how uh, NFT is perceived by the marketplace? Like, do people complain, oh, that royalty is too high, you know, or any of that kind of commentary? I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because if you're the artist, I think you should you should be able to set whatever royalty you think makes sense, and I I think the standard from uh, actually varies from blockchain to blockchain. So I recently learned that, for example, on Solana, the uh, royalties are typically between four to six percent, but I would say on Ethereum they're typically ten percent. Um, mm -hmm. But you know I've seen artists set it higher or lower um, or none at all. I mean you know it really is up to the creator. Yep. Yeah. No, I hundred percent agree there. Um, I want to ask you about creating digital art uh, for NFTs versus creating digital art prior to NFTs. And what differences, if any, are there? Um, and, and second, um, and somewhat related, 
and I, I believe you're based in Los Angeles. Is that or, or still uh, or, or no longer? <laughs> I'm normally based in New York. Uh, right now, I'm kind of nomading around. I am on the West Coast right now, but uh, you don't have to disclose your location. We respect privacy on the podcast. But I I'd heard about an NFT gallery in LA. That's why I ask about this. And and someone said actually it really changed their mind about. Um, you know, what was possible in real life with NFTs in a gallery setting. And I just wondered if that also factors into uh, an artist like yourself's kind of process for creating digital art, how you're seeing NFTs displayed now in galleries like New York and LA, and hopefully in more cities soon. It's really funny because, well, first, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. Um, and I feel like everything happened to me so quickly, <laughs> um, which I obviously am blessed, but uh, I basically, I think it was sometime last year during the pandemic. So this was before I had started selling NFTs and I was, uh, you know, sort of in my fortune op-ed, I had mentioned that I started while I was jobless or unemployed, um, I started creating my own digital artwork um, solely to pass time, actually, just to make myself feel like I'm not wasting life for not having a job and feeling that I can do something productive. Um, and it was also sort of a form of self-expression at the time. And then I remember I was visiting the Brooklyn Museum and then I was just thinking, how crazy would it be if one day, because I knew at the time that I was creating digital art and then the only sort of platform that I was displaying it on was my Instagram. And I didn't even have any followers then. You know, nobody was like seeing my art or anything. Um, but I was just thinking, oh, how crazy would it be if one day in the future we have digital museums or museums that showed way more digital artwork, right? Because even at that time, I don't think that was really a thing. And so obviously with the explosion of NFTs, now you're seeing way more, it, literally the progression curve of galleries showing digital artwork went like this, you know? And so, um, which is really crazy because that's exactly what happened prior, you know, when I was imagining that scenario in my head. And, um, but just for myself, I think, when, when I was creating the digital artwork originally, it obviously was never had, you know, the concept of monetizing it. And then I feel like now when NFTs are a thing, um, a lot of it is not really just about the artwork anymore. Um, it's also about, yeah, like the community that you're curating and or inspiring and creating from the artwork. And I think you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that, oh, I'm such a, an amazing artist. You know, there's so many talented artists out there and who are, you know, maybe uh, always asking me like how they can make it in NFTs and stuff. And, you know, it's not just about sort of like the skill or the intention behind the art, but also your ability to curate and create a community. And um, for myself, I think it's a combination of just being in the right place at the right time and also sort of captivating a very specific crypto native audience um, was extremely important as well, which was mostly formed during my time working in the uh, DeFi boom. And so, yeah, like I said, I, I can only speak from my experience, which, you know, I can't promise that this happens to anybody else. And I do actually think that originally there was a sort of like a very narrow window where um, several artists um, went into, jumped on the NFT hype train. And then, you know, if you like were one of the artists who were lucky enough to just be around during that time, I think you're doing pretty well today in the NFT space. Um, and so, you know, moving forward, I think, yeah, it's all about just finding niche. I mean, that's kind of what I did too with DeFi as well. It's just, I found a niche or, um, you know, a community where there are 
like they speak my language, my sense of humor resonates with them. And so a lot of the art at the time that I was making was very much um, pan not pandering, but just, you know, curated towards the specific audience, which became my community today, right? And so when you're, you know, starting as an artist, um, I think a lot of artists right now um, come into, you know, what the expectation, which I feel like is something that I also want to set in NFTs as well as right now, there's a lot of talk about, oh, if you just get into NFTs, then you're just going to immediately start making a lot of money. Um, that's just unfortunately not true. And I, I feel like it's unrealistic to be promising artists that, um, and I feel like a lot of people do it because obviously they want to push for mass adoption. But um, I think the most important part is to find um, sort of like a corner of the entire Web3 um, ecosystem that you can insert yourself in. And because everybody, you know, needs to find their own seat at the table, basically. And, um, you know, just sort of coming in with thinking, oh, if I just start minting NFTs, I'm going to make money is probably not the most realistic way to come into the space. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you, you brought up because I'm sure people listening, there'll be a few artists looking at this, wanting to get in, you know, and, and setting realistic expectations now that it's gotten a lot more crowded. Uh, you know, we've gone through a few cycles. People are maybe learning a few things about, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how much they're learning, but learning a few things about, you know, appropriate prices. And um, yeah, just to come back to the gallery uh, question, um, you know, CryptoPunks, uh, you know, one of the original kind of NFTs to catch on, um, you know, they, they've been bid up in value. Visa, the payments giant, bought a CryptoPunk for a six-figure sum. I think they've traded for, you know, half a million or more even. Um, I've heard that, you know, these don't really display very well in a physical gallery in terms of, you know, how visually beautiful they are, you know, and, and I just wondered, you know, do you think that there's the possibility um, we may see, you know, some um, adjustment in pricing and demand based on, you know, exactly that, how NFTs come to be displayed and used and, you know, different mediums or, or venues and, and all of a sudden, Maybe there's a reassessment of something like a, a CryptoPunk. And I don't mean to pick on CryptoPunks, all the CryptoPunks owners out there. I'm not trying to crash uh, the value of your NFT here, but I just, you know, I, I wondered if, if um, you know, as, as people who are thinking about investing in NFTs, buying NFTs, just trying to help our audience kind of think through what are some of the variables and factors that may over time influence what's more in demand, maybe what's less in demand. I think um, what's very interesting about NFTs or specifically NFT art, I mean, art is subjective, right? This has been something that everybody knows, even in the traditional art world, you know, a blank canvas by a really famous artist can sell way more than an extremely beautifully painted, let's say, you know, or yeah, beauty is subjective. And so, you know, some, I guess um, what I'm trying to say is you could apply the same logic to crypto punks, right? And then I think um, with crypto punks, you know, sort of, I don't think anybody's buying them because they think, oh, this is the most beautiful piece of art that I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. Um, it, you can almost view it very similar to Bitcoin, right? Nobody thinks Bitcoin is beautiful, but you're buying it because you believe it has value. And I think most of it is tied to the provenance and the fact that, you know, it was the first sort of um, NFT project with this, that introduced this whole sort of like rarity um, attributes and I don't know, there's a lot of history behind CryptoPunks um, that, mm -hmm. and also like we were talking about before, the socially agreed upon um, method of valuation. 
And so when you're making an NFT purchase, you should think about, are you doing it as an investment or are you buying something just because you like it? Because this also happens in the, in the real world too, which is I could buy a piece of art because I'm placing, basically you're buying a call option sometimes on the artist and this applies to NFTs as well. Sometimes people buy something associated with the artist and then they believe in the artist's trajectory is going to go up. And so um, that's why they're buying it, not necessarily because the artwork itself or some of the pieces in my portfolio that I've collected are purely just because I like the art. And mm -hmm. so, you know, whether or not that art piece appraises, that's great. Or if it goes to zero, you know, I don't really care because at the end of the day, it's kind of like when you buy a painting and then you think it's really beautiful and you just want to hang it in your home. And so, you know, there's several different ways to sort of go about that. And I definitely think that most people purchasing CryptoPunks, for example, are not buying it just because, I mean, maybe back in the day when it was way cheaper, but nobody's going to drop, you know, a few hundred grand on a CryptoPunk just because they think it's beautiful, I would guess. Right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, yeah, this is, this is the trick, right? The, the, you know, what is hot, what's going to, you know, appreciate, I mean, you know, these are challenging things to try to advise or, you know, comment on. Um, Not just one thing appreciation. That I, um, but sorry. also, sorry, I said not just appreciation, but it just, I mean, it's the same, you know, flexing is some, a concept that has been known to man ever since, I don't know, we, you know, have thinking abilities, right? And so that's a huge part of it as well, which is just to, um, you know, display wealth. I mean, it's the same reason why people spend, you know, way more money buying, like, let's say a Lamborghini, which is functions the same as a Toyota, but um, you're spending that much more for a display of status. And I think that's, you know, one of the, the other key elements of NFTs and that, you know, it has introduced into people in the digital realm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier something I wanted to, to come back to, which was, um, you know, different blockchains supporting NFTs, Ethereum as, as really the number one platform, but others, Solana, which you mentioned, um, certainly gaining traction uh, and, and uh, seeing a lot of NFT activity as well. And I just wondered from your perspective, what you could say uh, about NFTs on various blockchains, both creating them, uh, using them, uh, transacting them. I mean, Ethereum famously has, has you, know, you know, very high fees. Um, you know, this is a controversial topic. Those fees aren't all bad. They do help to secure the blockchain. They do help to pay for the infrastructure, uh, but but they also price people out uh, of of engaging with the Ethereum NFT space, and that has certainly probably helped blockchains like Solana gain market share. But I just wondered what you would share from your personal experience uh, and perspective on on the NFTs on different blockchains. Oh well, so embarrassingly, I've only minted. Um, NFTs on Ethereum. And, um, and I think sort of, you know, when you talk about the, the whole concept of gas fees and stuff or how Ethereum is really expensive, I think it's the same as saying um, you can, yeah, compare these blo different blockchains to cities. And so Ethereum would be like New York City or London, where it's extremely expensive. It's pricing a lot of people out of, you know, literally being an, an inhabitant of the city. And um, so then, you know, people migrate out and like find other places, but, you know, obviously at the end of the day, I do know that, you know, a lot of 
why Ethereum is so, I mean, it's all relative, right? Also gas is so expensive right now also because the price of Ethereum is so high, you know? So 0.01 Ethereum isn't the same value as it was, you know, six months ago or um, whatever. And so, I, I mean, it's all relative. And then at the end of the day, Ethereum is decentralized. So, you know, there are reasons as to why, you know, it takes longer or the gas fees are so high. Um, and yeah, it's just about, but at the, at the same time, everybody wants to be in New York City. You know what I mean? It's not expensive for no reason, right? So it's all about finding sort of like your own balance. Um, but I do notice that, you know, sort of even just deploying a contract on Ethereum is so expensive now. It, it definitely is for pricing out um, what you would call normies or people who didn't previously have exposure to crypto, you know, just coming in and think, seeing, let's say it's like half an ETH to deploy a contract. Half an ETH right now is almost $2,500. I mean, that's yep. pretty expensive. You know, that's like somebody's rent, right? So um, yeah, it's, it's all relative. And, you know, but obviously if you've lived in New York City since, you know, 1992, then as it got more expensive, you know, I don't know, your the house, the your real estate value also went up with the rest of the city or something. I don't know. So um, yeah, it's all about, I guess, uh, I, yeah, I just think the city analogy is a really good one. And it's like, I don't know, I'm still using Ethereum because that is, sort of the most popular one. A lot of people are on it. I've been in it, um, you know, from the beginning. And so, yeah. Yeah. And Ethereum has been using the, the, you know, London, London is, is a name for various upgrades. And, and <laughs> so I think, I think the shoe fits uh, with your, with your comparison there. Uh, maybe Solana, we can think of it as the Dallas of, uh, of, of blockchains, right? It's got all this Absolutely. space and cheaper and you get Maybe more for your money, some would argue, in terms of house size, and yeah. You know, but uh, that's that's a really, I think, I think these kinds of ways of explaining uh, blockchain technology, especially for newcomers, are really really helpful. So um, you know, they're always imperfect, right? And people complain and criticize, but but I, I think you have to kind of analogize um, in, in the way you're doing to kind of help newcomers kind of grasp kind of some of these basic differences. Um, so. Um, yeah, I, I guess um, you know. Have you have you have you looked at like the NFT gaming space and and um, other kind of ways NFTs can be used? And if you kind of were to like look into your crystal ball a bit, um, you know, I mean, are, are, what are you thinking? What are you seeing that's interesting? Um, you know, what's the roadmap for NFTs and, and blockchains from where you sit look like? Well, I hope that maybe one day we'll get to a ready player one situation where the metaverse is actually immersive because it definitely is not right now. And um, I mean, in a way, NFTs and any activity on the blockchain or just in crypto in general is a metaverse, but there's not really a way to visualize it. So even, you know, sort of like with loots or like the concept of bored apes and breeding and every, you know, let's say, you know, you can breed a mutant ape from or board ape, but right now we're just looking at JPEGs, right? Um, and sort of people have to sort of conceptualize this in their heads. And so um, hopefully in my crystal ball, um, we get to a point where I don't know if it's whether through VR headsets or something that we create a digital realm that's actually immersive and people can understand um, sort of the value of, you know, like digital goods or, you know, and then I mean, then that's gonna just why I think the why there's the word meta because it doesn't just involve gaming, but it involves you know purchases, interactions, um, you know culture, so many things, right? 
And, but you know, I, I worked at Blizzard, you know, that was the last job that I had basically was at Blizzard. So obviously, you know, there's already such a huge economy and sort of the exchanging of digital goods within um, games. And I guess the metaverse or the blockchain can hopefully enable or in a future that I would like to see is that you can have sort of cross-chain, cross-gaming assets that are um, tradable, um, exchangeable, and just creating this entire ecosystem of value and goods exchange um, and, you know, using digital currency. And um, yeah, just, but I think right now it's a like, harder concept for people to grasp simply because they can't visualize it, right? And because that's due to um, our hardware and technology not really catching up. You know, if you go on any of the metaverses right now that are, let's say, available on Ethereum, for example, CryptoVoxels or Decentraland um, or even mm -hmm. Sandbox, it's 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 not really there yet. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> I think people would just think of it as like Minecraft, right? And then they'd be like, well, instead of spending actual money to buy Ethereum, you know, like to be in Sandbox, why don't I just go and play Minecraft, you know? So it's like, um, but I think as, you know, hopefully more and more people sort of gather in to these like digital realms. And um, I always go back to the whole sort of like socially constructive concept of value, then, you know, when everybody is sort of exchanging digital goods or digital currencies, then, um, then it'll start to actually, I think, click with a lot more people. Um, mm -hmm. And at, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, like everything is, it, it all ties back to what we agree on um, as value. But I do think that COVID really helped escalate, um, you know, sort of like the bull run and, you know, kick off NFTs, metaverse and all these things. But even um, sort of unrelated to that, just during COVID myself, um, I had a brand new appreciation for games because um, not being able to go outside, sort of the only escape that you have is something digital, right? And so um, hopefully if more important people realize that, I'm not saying that I want us to have a future where COVID is just forever looming over us and then we have to stay indoors, but it definitely was um, an external catalyst that helped me appreciate the digital realm a lot more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with all that. Um, just uh, as we're, we're starting to run out of time, I want to, for our newcomers, give them very specific guidance on how to get started safely uh, with, with NFTs. Where can they go? What should they do? Um, you know, like, you know, even like, you know, what are some wallets, you know, that, that you would recommend, um, you know, or, or platforms, you know, like what is the easiest way to kind of start um, interacting with NFTs, which I think is incredibly important personally. I just think listening to conversations like this is one thing, but you really can't really understand digital assets and cryptocurrency until you actually use it and go through the process of having a wallet and, and acquiring it and, and maybe exchanging it, that makes such a huge difference. And even if it's a tiny quantity, um, it, it's just something that is really transformative I've seen for people in terms of how they understand it. They start paying attention a bit more to what's going on, even with a few bucks, some trivial amount of value in your wallet. It, it, it's just a, a, a game changer from, from, from having zero exposure to digital assets. So what do you, what do you recommend to people who are new and, and are looking to get started here? Um, well, you know, I think for right now, most people are using, like if you're um, playing with Ethereum, for example, then, you know, MetaMask is um, an easy sort of like 
web browser plugin that you can install and immediately start. Uh, obviously, I don't know if you don't have any cryptocurrency to begin with, you need to have some. So either purchasing it through Coinbase or, you know, Kraken, some other exchange that has an on-ramp from fiat to cryptocurrency. So you need to make that first step. And then you can set up a wallet, for example, with MetaMask. And then um, through that, you can start literally doing things um, on Ethereum. And, you know, if you're doing things like on Solana, then you use Phantom, um, you know, but I, uh, there's so many resources out there, probably either like YouTube or, I mean, crypto Twitter obviously is the most resourceful place, but it might be a bit daunting sometimes because it's just, you know, it's like a, just landing in a city and not knowing where to go. Right. And so maybe, yeah, like YouTube tutorials or something, there's a lot of those online now, um, mm -hmm. are helpful to begin with. Um, there's also the test net because like we were previously talking about how Ethereum is pricing out a lot of people right now, you know, even just to do anything on Ethereum right now is pretty expensive. And so, um, but thankfully there's the test net, which I think a lot of people don't know about, um, which, you know, there's mm -hmm. like a faucet that you can go and mint, like it's like fake Ethereum. It's just um, for doing things on the test net. And so if you want to have, and you know, OpenSea also has a test net version. So if you want to have sort of the experience of either minting an NFT or like purchasing it just as a practice without spending real Ethereum, um, that's a good place to start as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that um, ability to start with, you know, no, no money and still get some exposure. Um, one of the things back in 2017, you may remember, and, and you still see this to a degree. And I wanted to ask you about kind of the NFT equivalent of this where cryptocurrency airdrops, where, uh, you know, you could build a decent little portfolio um, for free, basically, just by showing up and, and registering or, or, you know, joining a, you know, a telegram group or something, you would get some cryptocurrency for free that was literally dropped into your wallet. You just provide your wallet address. And some of these projects, uh, you know, uh, didn't turn out all that great. And some of them actually made it. And, and, and so uh, there's ways to bootstrap your exposure to digital assets with literally nothing other than a computing device and an internet connection. And I wonder, can you say much about that beyond what you've already said on test nets in terms of NFT airdrops or freebies? Is that happening to any degree uh, at this point in time? Did it happen before, but it's kind of tailed off? Mm -hmm. I definitely think there were a lot of airdrops happening during DeFi summer. And um, yeah, honestly, that that era was crazy. It's just, it literally was money falling from the sky, like constantly. Um, I mean, and I think sort of Uniswap was one of the first ones to really kick off that wave, right? Where they airdropped uh, 400 um, uni to anybody who had ever even used it prior to, you know, like a certain cutoff date. And um, yeah, it's literally what you were saying, just by being sort of familiarizing yourself, like, you know, you don't, you just by using a product, um, first you get to familiarize yourself with the space and yeah, you never know what might happen down the line or you can get free money out of it. Um, and so I think airdrops are still happening um, today, um, at least from what I can see, it's less common. Um, mm -hmm. But um, in any case, I, I do feel like even just for myself, um, yeah, really getting that sort of first hands-on experience helps you visualize and understand the concept of crypto so much more. Um, it, it may seem really daunting at times. And I think that's why, you know, we haven't really uh, gotten to uh, as large of a mass adoption um, as we are foreseeing. Um, I do think that it's happening, especially as more and more developers come into the space and make these tools and um, 
just uh, products much more accessible and easier to use. Um, we'll see sort of a wider adoption, but just getting your hands dirty is always the best way to uh, get started, I guess. And also once you do that, you're going to become just emotionally invested in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, just to wrap up, where can people go to learn more about you? Check out your, your NFT work. <laughs> um, well, I, mostly I post my artwork on either Twitter or um, Instagram. So on Twitter, I'm just people pleaser one. And then um, spell, spell that, spell that, spell that out for everybody. <laughs> it's spelled really weird. Um, it's P P L P L E A S R. <laughs> and we'll have that in the show notes, by the way, for those who didn't write that down. So yeah, but, I uh, apologize for the extremely <laughs> weird spelling. Everyone always spells it a different way every day, all the time. I'm completely used to it, but there is a certain way to spell it in case you want to find me or you don't, that's totally fine too. Um, yeah. And then our, I don't know, like there's other, other good resources going on like mirror.xyz. There's a lot of really good blog posts just about web three and crypto there. Um, mm -hmm. Andreessen Horowitz has some really good mm -hmm. uh, resources as well. I have a talk on DAOs on their website there. <laughs> um, yeah, just, you know, there's so many free resources that you can go and just read these blog posts and get started. I'm sure there's a lot on YouTube as well. So definitely great. Well, Emily, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you and we wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners.